just one of the many sounds of the protesters last night at Queen's Park as they were determined to shut down the passage of Bill 31. They're outraged at two things. They're outraged at uh, shrinking Toronto City Council, which the province has every constitutional right to do. In fact, they could abolish Toronto City Council according to the Canadian Constitution. That might have been easier than shrinking the size of council. But they could do that. Then they're also outraged about the use of the notwithstanding clause. And we've heard a number of things. One, um, it should only be used in extreme circumstances. That's what we're being told now. Only under extreme circumstances. Well, what about all the times Quebec just basically stapled it to the front of every bill they passed from 1982 to what, 87 or 88? Did they complain about that? Did they complain last year? Did you see a single national editorial Did it lead a single national newscast when Saskatchewan used it on a school issue earlier this year? It only received royal assent in May. No. And the other thing that we're now hearing is that this is not what the framers intended. Suddenly, all these law professors that hate the idea of originalism or... Um, I forget the other term for original. There's a few different terms for looking at the intention of the people that passed the law. They hate that. They love the living tree doctrine where you interpret the charter or the constitution in how you see it now, not in how it or the law was passed. They hate everything but the living tree. Now they want originalist intent. It's very strange. It turns out, though, that some of the people that were there in the room actually believed that the notwithstanding clause should be used more often. And I've been learning an awful lot about that by following the Twitter feed of Norm Spector. Norm Spector is a former bureaucrat who, Norm, help me out with this. He joins me on the line now from Victoria. You came from the bureaucratic side because people will say, well, he's just a former chief of staff to Brian Mulroney, so he's a Tory hack. You came out of the nonpartisan public service side of things before becoming chief of staff. That's right. I've been a uh, public servant my whole career. And uh, when I was uh, chief of staff to Prime Minister Mulroney, I was seconded from the public service into the prime minister's office, much as Derek Burney was. Derek Burney also uh, remained a public servant uh, from external affairs. And um, after I was uh, ambassador to Israel, uh, I came back, and Mr. Krejcian reappointed me into the public service as a deputy minister. So, yes, and so I'm you you, wor- you worked under liberal and conservative governments. That's correct. Okay, so in the early 1980s, the talks are going on to bring the Constitution to Canada, to patriot, not repatriate, but to patriot the Constitution. And what was your job then? Why were you privy to so much of what is under discussion now by people that are saying, oh, nobody ever intended for this? So in 1981, I was a deputy minister to Premier Bill Bennett of British Columbia. And um, he, uh, in 1981, became chair of the Premier's Conference. And uh, the constitutional initiative was ongoing. And it got very active after the Supreme Court ruled uh, on September 24th, 1981, that Mr. Trudeau's unilateral patriation, he had only the support of two provinces, New Brunswick and Ontario, was uh, legal but unconstitutional in the conventional sense of the word. And at that point... 
he was essentially forced back to the bargaining table with the provinces. And Mr. Bennett uh, traveled across the country trying to get the provinces interested in resuming negotiations. He was hoping for a resolution rather than a fight in England over the Constitution. And eventually the provinces and Ottawa got back to the table uh, uh, in November of 1981 with the uh, final meeting on the morning of November 5th, 1981, where the provinces and uh, Ottawa agreed uh, on a package that essentially became the Constitution of Canada. Now, what we've been told over the last few days, and of course there was the uh, the, the joint letter from Jean Chrétien, who was uh, Pierre Trudeau's attorney general at the time, uh, Roy McMurtry, who was Ontario's attorney general, and who am I forgetting? Roy, Roy Romano from Saskatchewan. He was Saskatchewan's attorney general. Correct. They're all saying it was never intended to be like this. But you've been pointing me towards Brian Peckford, who was, um, how do we put this, an actual premier? Brian Peckford was the premier of Newfoundland in 1981. And he ended up presenting the compromise provincial proposal at that final meeting on November 5th, 1981. So, so he, he didn't just agree to it. He presented it to correct. Pierre Trudeau. That's correct. That following, the, you know, the premiers met for breakfast that morning at the Chateau Laurier, and then they walked over to the old railway station, which was a conference center at that point. And uh, that was the ultimate meeting on the fifth floor of the conference center, the morning of November 5th, where nine premiers and uh, Pierre Trudeau agreed with Quebec not agreeing. Remember, Quebec did not agree to the patriation package. Now, look, Jean Chrétien, Roy McMurtry, and Roy Romano played very important roles uh, in the entire uh, patriation of the Constitution, but they were not at the table for the final negotiations. Their premiers were. Okay. Or the Prime Minister of Canada was. So, I mean, Bill Davis has also come out against this, and, and, and that allows people to say, see, framers didn't like this, but Davis would be one, Peckford one. would be another. Well, you see, he is one, and again, the way that the forces lined up then was that Pierre Trudeau had the support of two provinces, New Brunswick and Ontario. And the gang of eight were opposed to him. And what happened at that final meeting was a, um, a uh, compromise uh, on both the Charter of Rights and the amending formula, which were the key issues. Seven, so, seven provinces, 50% of the population. Yes, that's the general amending formula. There are all several amending formulas, but yeah, essentially but that... the whole package was agreed to. So uh, as in any uh, situation like this, there were people who had different uh, positions that ended up in the compromise. I mean, Alan Blakeney was an NDP premier, Roy Romano's premier. From Saskatchewan. Who, who was supporting the notwithstanding clause for good for left-wing reasons. He thought that the Supreme Court one day could do, as in the United States, become very conservative and quash all social reform. And he thought that the legislature should have the final say in those situations. Whereas Sterling Lyon was coming from the right, he was a classic British parliamentarian from Manitoba, and he wanted to make sure that his government would have 
the ultimate say. So there were all kinds of expectations, but but what's happened is from the beginning, there were people who did not like the deal. Mm -hmm. And they were essentially the people, acolytes of Pierre Trudeau, largely centered in the Toronto, in Toronto, with their beacon being the Toronto Star. They did not like the deal. And they've essentially been trying to delegitimize this clause that Mr. Trudeau agreed to for almost 40 years. That's been their objective. They've been getting their agenda through the courts. And as I pointed out the other day, speaking with Norman Spector, longtime civil servant, he was there for these negotiations on the Constitution and the notwithstanding clause. He knows who was on which side. And it's important that you listen to him as you hear all these people say, well, no one intended that. Not true. Um, As I've been pointing out, there's Section 1. And the courts use this on an almost daily basis. I may be exaggerating just a little bit, but there will be some weeks where, yeah, every day there's a court decision that says, yes, your rights were violated, but under Section 1 um, in a free and democratic society, it's acceptable. So the courts can rule that it's okay for your rights to be violated, and you have no remedy. You may be able to appeal, but the Supreme Court is no less willing to invoke Section 1 than lower courts. So we've got the ability to shut down your basic fundamental freedoms, even when a court finds them to have been violated, if a court says so. So why not if a politician says so? People have actually read the Charter of Rights. The, The thing that you have to understand is that it's not written like the American Bill of Rights, which, for example, says Congress shall pass no law abridging freedom of expression. The Canadian Charter of Rights, despite all the mythology that's grown up around it, guarantees your rights and mine subject to uh, infringement. It allows governments to infringe upon our rights. It guarantees our rights only to the extent that governments have to prove that their infringement is reasonable in a free and democratic society. So it's a very different approach. It doesn't end up all that differently from the United States, but it is a different approach. But there's been, but there's been such a mythology around the, the Charter of Rights that it's this document that sets out all our rights. It doesn't. It allows well, we, the government to infringe these... in Section 1, yeah. subject to the courts. And in Section 33. But it also allows governments to override certain sections of the Charter, not the entire Charter. And and you've got people saying now, well, we need to get rid of Section 33, the notwithstanding clause. I would never agree to that as long as Section 1 still stands. Well, look, uh, it's entirely legitimate for people to want to amend the Constitution. But it's also extremely difficult to amend the Constitution, mm-hmm. as we've learned. So what's happened is these people have been trying to delegitimize the clause, and they've been sort of suggesting that there was an agreement that it wouldn't be used. That's so w- there was no agreement that it not be used. What, was there, there were, a lot of, you were there for the Mulroney years. Uh, I, I know that former Prime Minister Mulroney said the notwithstanding clause made the uh, the charter not worth the paper it's printed on. We all know that that clause, and it's been trotted out a lot to try and delegitimize the stand his daughter's taking now in the Ontario legislature. And you've got people saying, well, why aren't you following your father? A little bit misogynistic, i got to say, and I don't throw that around lightly. 
but the fact is, we, we've got it in there. He never tried to get rid of it, and Quebec used it on a regular basis while he was prime minister. Well, not only did Quebec use it, but, uh, you know, when I was, uh, you know, after I came to Ottawa, I was secretary of the cabinet for federal provincial relations. When I was involved, in, I was responsible for constitutional reform. And <clears throat> during the period that uh, Quebec used the notwithstanding clause on its sign law, this wasn't the PQ. This was Bourassa, the liberal. PQ. Yeah. Oh, the liberals have been horrible on, on that law. in Quebec. We unearthed a document in our files at the Federal Provincial Relations Office in Ottawa, where Pierre Trudeau promised to use an outstanding clause. He sent a letter to Cardinal Carter of Toronto um, promising that if the courts ever, during the patriation exercise, promising Cardinal Carter that if the courts ever ruled, ever found that there was a right to abortion in the Charter of Rights, he would invoke the notwithstanding clause. So all those people who are today saying it was agreed it wouldn't be used is balderdash. Okay, and let me let me ask you this again. Speaking with Norman Spector, who was there for these talks, a longtime civil servant, um, Norm, they're all claiming Framers' intent now. So one of the Framers said, "We'll use the notwithstanding clause." If there's a right to an abortion, you can point to abortion, same-sex marriage. The Prime Minister of Canada. The Prime Minister of Canada. Yes, you can point to abortion, same-sex marriage, uh, assisted suicide, all of these social issues that the courts at one point ruled one way, then at another point ruled another way, and said, "Well, we found it, you know how this applies to the Charter now." That is only because of the living tree. If we go with the original intent, framers' intent argument, all those things disappear. Well, yes. Uh, the, 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 the thing about any agreement is that the text basically shows the degree of agreement. So if, the, for example, the framers had wanted the uh, notwithstanding clause to be limited to exceptional uses, they would have written that. They and, they, did not. and they did not. And what they did instead is, and this was at Pierre, uh, Pierre Trudeau's insistence at the final meeting. I was in the room, as was Roy Romano. We were not at the table, he and I. We sat behind our premiers. What Pierre Trudeau insisted at that meeting was that there be a five-year proviso on any override of a charter right which would mean that in order to renew it, there would have to be an election that intervened. Yeah, and that's so, a fair compromise. That's exactly right. So, so first of all, his first compromise was that he allowed certain rights in his charter to be overridden. Okay? That was not the original idea. The original idea was that there would be no notwithstanding clause. He had to compromise. He had to accept that certain sections of his charter could be overridden. And then the next, but to, to try to limit that to a certain extent, he, he insisted on political accountability for it, which is what uh, you're going to see in, in Ontario. Essentially, what will happen there is that no one should doubt the legal and constitutional right of Mr. Ford and his government to override a judicial decision. It's in the Constitution. It's part of the Constitution. However, 
he will be politically accountable, which means that the voters will have the final say before he can ever renew that clause. All right. Norman, it, it has been wonderful talking to you tonight. Really has. Uh, we, we're well beyond time. I kept you much longer than I said I would, and I'm well beyond, beyond uh, going to uh, an ad break. But uh, thank you for the insight on Not what really happened at that time. I hope we can do it again. Have a good evening. All right. Norman Spector joining us from Victoria tonight. Uh, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in maybe moments. We'll see.